I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is as bad as it gets nature's deadliest organisms. Most people who contract the disease will die from the condition. They can hijack our bodies. Everything was twisted up. Disable our immune systems. This should never happen to any teenager. And eat us from within. That was without a doubt the worst moment of my life. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Wendy and Scott Ashworth live in the rural town of Rochester, Massachusetts. I'm an EMT and I work on the Rochester Fire Department. I met Wendy actually through the fire department. I was the fire chief in the town of Rochester. Their pride and joy is their 23-year-old son, Derek. Derek works in construction and in his free time plays semi-pro football for the Middleborough Cobras. It was a working man's league. And they accepted me, you know, they brought you in slowly, but you learned the ropes how to play at that level. Despite his love of football, the most important people in Derek's life are his family. My parents taught me to be disciplined, stay positive. You're going to be faced with a lot of things that you're going to have to overcome. It's a quiet Monday morning in late May. Wendy is on duty with her EMS crew when an emergency call comes in. The tone went off for a male party having a seizure. And as any typical call that I'd been on, I just headed out with the ambulance. But this call is far from typical. When I arrived at the location, some of the people that were working on that site came running up to me saying, Mrs. Ashworth, it's your son. It's Derek. I was stunned. When Wendy arrives at her son's side, he is sitting upright. I kind of asked Eric, you know, hey, what's up? What's going on? And he was like, Ma, I don't know. I don't know what happened. For Derek, the workday started like any other. I go to work and put my tool belt on, and things started to turn in my vision. 
that's when everything hit me. I just turned around and collapsed. I felt my top jaw go one way and my bottom jaw go the other way. And it was like a corkscrew feeling through my body. It was a complete blackout. It seems that Derek has suffered a grand mall seizure. Wendy and her crew load him into the ambulance. Even though I'm mom, I'm still in EMT mode. And my focus at that point was just doing my job. We checked his vital signs and his blood pressure was high at the time. We felt warm to the touch. My mind was racing. I couldn't believe that I was actually treating my own son. I just wanted this to not be true, but it was. When the ambulance arrives at the local hospital, Wendy is surprised by the medical team's reaction. The doctors didn't seem really concerned at that point. They kind of brushed it off, just said, you know, we'll draw some blood and we're gonna do a quick CAT scan on him. And we waited for the results. Three hours later, doctors are still at a loss to explain Derek's seizure. The doctors got his labs back and everything was negative. And the CAT scan also was negative. I was happy that, you know, things were checking out. Obviously gave me a little relief. Let's just hope this never happens again. His diagnosis was a seizure of unknown ideology. I felt at that point that we were just kind of being brushed off and sent home. Wendy drops Derek off at his apartment. But later that evening, in the dead of night, Wendy is woken by a startling phone call. The phone rang at approximately 2 o'clock in the morning, and mother's intuition, I knew it was Derek, just said, Ma, you got to get over here. I'm going to have another seizure. I can feel it. I felt a little panicky, and I just hung up the phone, got dressed, and raced over there with my car. At her son's apartment, she makes a beeline to his bedroom. I just said, let's go. We're going back to the hospital. I took two steps towards the door, and I said, here we go. Lights out. He dropped into my arms and had another grand mal seizure, this time in my arms. At that point, he is foaming at the mouth, and he is shaking all over. I was just stunned. I just laid him to the side and let him go through the seizure. An ambulance rushes Derek back to the hospital. There, doctors immediately admit Derek and run a battery of tests. But as he lies in bed, a disturbing new symptom strikes. I was losing the ability to speak. I think I was looking at a water cooler or something. I was very thirsty at the time, and I think I pointed to it. And that's the last thing I really remember. I was very upset. Not only is it my son that's having these problems, but I'm starting to get emotional, and I'm an EMT, and I can't help my son. With Derek drifting in and out of consciousness, Wendy calls Scott, who drops everything and rushes to his son's side. When I saw Derek, he was unresponsive. And when you're that way and you're going down relatively quickly in several hours, it usually doesn't get better. It's going to get worse. As Derek's condition deteriorates, the Ashworth family are left waiting for five hours for an on-call neurologist to arrive. When the doctor finally shows up, he takes a surprising line of questioning. He was asking if my son had been sniffing any pain. 
And I laid right into him and told him, we are done, and we are done with you, and we are done with this hospital. Wendy and Scott demand that doctors transfer Derek to a specialist hospital in Boston. But the family encounters stiff resistance. The doctors just said, you're overreacting. This is not necessary. At that point, I kind of stepped in and just says, you know, doc, if we don't get an ambulance here, I'm bringing my own ambulance here and we're taking them out of this hospital. Well, you can't just show up in Boston. Yeah, we can. Finally, doctors give in and transfer Derek to Boston Medical Center. There, critical care specialist Dr. Michael Young takes on the case. When he arrived in the emergency room, I think there was a heightened concern that there might be an infection involved. So the samples that we took were spinal fluid, blood, urine, and sputum. And then we sent those all off to the lab. Dr. Young also orders an MRI of Derek's brain. 30 minutes later, Dr. Young summons Wendy and Scott to the conference room to review the scans. His entire brain was inflamed right down to his brain stem. You know, this is as bad as it gets. With that much inflammation, I thought most likely he wasn't going to make it. And I think many of us thought that. It looked really, really grim. His father and I thought that he was gone and that we were never going to have our son back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Dr. 
Derek Ashworth is suffering from a mysterious ailment that has led to dangerous inflammation throughout his brain. Doctors have no choice but to put Derek on life support. But his condition is about to get even worse. His fever had rose to 107.6. I was panicking. It was a temperature that I had never seen or heard of anybody ever surviving. It's pretty much a death sentence. Doctors wrapped the comatose Derek in cooling blankets in hopes of reducing his fever. For three days, Derek clings to life. Then the lab results come back. We had essentially ruled out a lot of different things, and we were really narrowing it down to a type of virus. And the virus that it turned out to be was Eastern Equine Encephalitis. We could see by the expressions on the doctors' faces that they didn't have a lot of hope for us. The Eastern Equine Encephalitis virus is also known as Triple E. Inside Derek's body, the Triple E virus penetrates the membranes of his brain cells. Once inside the brain cells, the virus replicates in mass. Swollen with infection, the brain cells rupture, releasing countless new viruses across the brain that then destroy other brain cells, leading to his seizures, high fevers, and life-threatening inflammation. In the conference room, Dr. Young reveals just how bad it is. They, you know, basically told us that it looks bad and he may not survive. So you're not trying to give up hope, but you're kind of preparing for the worst. When the doctors gave us the diagnosis, I could just see in my own mind all the dreams that he ever had are going to be taken away from us. And then I didn't think that my only child was ever going to be able to fight this, and I couldn't fix him. Eastern equine encephalitis is a condition that typically infects horses, hence its name, equine encephalitis. But in rare cases, it also infects humans. Most people who contract the disease will die from the condition. And of those who do survive, about 90% will experience lasting brain damage. But Dr. Young has even worse news. There's no treatment for it. At the end of the day, it's really all up to Derek to fight the infection. But it's a hard conversation to have to tell parents that their child has very little chance of surviving. We just prayed for a miracle at that point. For the next five days, Derek lies unconscious as his immune system wages a silent battle against the triple E virus. After day seven, they would be looking for our guidance in what to do to take him off life support. And that was approaching quickly. You know, my wife looked at me and says, I, I can't pull a plug. You'll have to do it. And it was basically devastation. But the following morning, when Wendy and Scott returned to the hospital, they see something incredible. We went into Derek's room and noticed that his eyes were open. And we were like, oh my God, he's waking up. Unbelievably, Derek has fought off the triple E virus. I remember, like, if you can picture your eye just 
slightly cracking open and that first bright sunlight when the morning hits, it kind of beams in your face. I could just see like the small little reflection off of it. He started to cry and tears came down his eyes. And I was so happy to see tears. I said, you know, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay, welcome back, welcome back. To say that it was miraculous is not an understatement. It's an amazing thing. But how did Derek contract the Triple E virus in the first place? The Triple E virus typically cycles between mosquitoes and birds. But when an infected mosquito takes a blood meal, they can also transmit the virus to horses and occasionally to humans. Triple E is most common in southern states like Florida and Georgia but cases have been reported even as far north as New Jersey and Massachusetts. And Derek thinks he knows when he was bitten, at a football game a few days before he became ill. It was a Sunday night game, and when we were finished, we'd hang out in the parking lot area, and that was next to a river. And it was kind of like the breeding ground home for all the mosquitoes. They were just unbelievable swarms of them. This is the moment that I believe the mosquito infected me with Triple E. Derek spends the next three weeks in rehabilitation and makes a remarkable recovery. That fall, he's able to rejoin the Middleborough Cobras. He even suits up for the league Super Bowl. That season, they won the Super Bowl, and Derek was presented with the trophy where he was paraded around. I don't think there was a dry eye in the place. Today, Derek is 29 years old and is making great strides in life. I'm getting married next year and um, living life with my beautiful fiance. Every step of the way, it's been one hell of a ride. I wouldn't change a thing. Well, maybe except for the Triple E, but. <laughs> triple E virus is extremely rare in humans, with only around six cases reported each year throughout the United States. There is no human vaccine for Eastern equine encephalitis. The best way to avoid contracting the condition is by using deep-based repellent and by wearing long sleeves and pants in swampy regions where mosquitoes are prevalent. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I hope that he didn't come too late. If I was in shock, I'm thinking this can't be happening. Michael DeStefan and Francis Estevez are a married couple living in the suburban town of River Edge, New Jersey. What makes us a good couple? She makes us a good couple. After my mother, she's the greatest woman I've ever met in my life. Their differences are what make them click. I am quiet, reserved. Michael has a big personality. I'm hard-edged. I'm a tough guy. I'm very opinionated, strong-willed. I'm always right. Francis works for the local school authority, and Michael runs a printing business. They live with Francis's four sons, as well as their niece, Natalie Rodriguez, who works for Michael part-time. My niece, Natalie, is more like a daughter to me. She's my princess. I call her princess. He used to literally do anything and everything he could with me, so my uncle's definitely a really good father figure. And there's one thing that brings the whole family together. We barbecue all year long. As long as the barbecue doesn't have snow on it, we're out there, we can barbecue. He is the epitome of a carnivore. 
breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there has to be meat. But Michael's daily routine is about to be thrown into turmoil. Spring has arrived, stoking the family's excitement. May's the end of school coming up. May's the swimming pool opening. May's the barbecue in the backyard. It's our time of year. Sunday night came. We were all gathered watching TV in the living room. And I started to feel a little discomfort in my stomach, which I generally don't feel. But didn't really pay much attention to it. I just assumed it was something that would go away. But that night, his discomfort grows. Four o'clock rolled around. I still had that sharpshooting pain. And besides the pain, now I was mad. This couldn't get in my way. I couldn't not go to work. I was telling him how important it was that if it was really bothering him, he should be evaluated by a professional. But he said, don't worry, it'll be fine. He's stubborn, very stubborn. Michael carries on with his morning routine and heads into his office. But his employees notice that something's off. Somebody said to me, are you okay? See, probably the way I was walking, the way I was moving, I wasn't walking and acting like myself. I was clunched over, I was grimacing. So they were all saying, you really should go to a doctor. Quit being so hard-headed. By mid-morning, Michael's niece, Natalie, notices that her uncle isn't quite himself. He looked a bit pale, and he tans every day. So him looking pale is something I had never seen before. But I just figured, hey, he's hungry or dehydrated. When noon comes around, Natalie brings Michael some food. I got him something from the lunch truck. But he sort of looked at it, tried to eat it, and couldn't, and threw it out. Him not eating is definitely a red flag. I just kept saying, don't worry, princess, I'll be fine, don't worry, I'll be fine. But by the afternoon, Michael is so uncomfortable that he is forced to lie down. Stretching on my back, sitting up, standing, nothing that I did could make the pain go away. Felt like something was stabbing me inside. And the weird part was it didn't seem to be in one spot. Like, it was moving. And before the workday comes to a close, Michael can't hold out any longer. I got to start thinking about, this could be something serious. I just said, Princess, I got to get out of here. This is killing me. I'll see you when you get home. Michael gets into his car to drive home. When I put the seatbelt on, the seatbelt came right across where the pain was. I was just blinking and trying to blink away to get through the pain that was just shooting through my abdomen. Any way I moved was just severe, severe pain. I had to suck it up and admit that I needed help. I had no idea what was going to happen, and I was scared. Michael gives in and makes his way to the nearest hospital. It was a very full waiting room. You never know when you're going to be picked. You know, it's not a deli counter. Stupid me. I'm thinking, I'm going to go to the hospital in an hour. They're going to give me the magic pill, and I'll be home for dinner. Still, Michael sends his wife a text that he's at the hospital, and she hurries to reach him. I was anxious, very anxious. For Michael to go to the hospital, it must have been excruciating pain, something that he couldn't handle. Frances walked through the door, and once she walked in, even though I didn't feel any better physically, mentally I felt better just knowing she was there. Finally, a doctor examines Michael. The doctor was pressing on my abdomen and asked, is this where it hurts? And I just kept, yes, that's killing me right there, that same spot. That's right where, yes, yes, it's still killing me right there. The doctors are unsure of what to make of Michael's symptoms. They were 
a little confused because there was no nauseousness and no fever. But eventually, they settle on a theory. They said that it might be appendicitis. In my mind, I'm thinking, you're going to wheel me down, knock me out, and take my appendix out. So, you know, I was home free. To me, I was, I was coming to the finish line. To confirm the hypothesis, the medical team runs a CAT scan on his abdomen. He goes, well, this is not your appendix, and this is something that I can't handle. We have to call in our head trauma surgeon. Now, for the first time since probably when I was a little kid, I was starting to get scared. I felt helpless, I felt out of control, and I thought that this could be it. Emergency trauma surgeon Dr. Sanjeev Call reviews the scans. We were absolutely stumped to see that there was something that was sticking out of his right large intestine. It appears to be a sharp metal object. You could see it was like an inch long and very thin. I was borderline about to freak out. Every year, about 80,000 people in the U.S. visit the hospital having accidentally swallowed a foreign object. In the vast majority of cases, the object will pass through the digestive system naturally. But in some instances, when the foreign object gets stuck, it can be life-threatening. In the U.S., approximately 1,500 people die each year as a result of having ingested a foreign object. Whatever the object in Michael's colon is, it seems to be causing serious damage. We are concerned not just about the foreign body, we are concerned about a leakage of contents from the intestine, and that can cause septic shock. Septic shock can occur when toxins spread across the body, leading to low blood pressure, organ failure, and frequently death. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I hope that he didn't come too late. It was very scary. If I was in shock, I'm thinking that this can't be happening. I told Michael that he needed surgery, and I explained to him that if we had to remove a part of the intestine, then he would have wound up with a colostomy. That's that thing that hangs off your side that collects all feces and everything. It scared me, and made me contemplate would I even be able to live like that. I didn't know if I'd be able to. And I just said, you know what? Do I have to do this right now? What about if I go home and I'll come back in the morning? Let me think about this, come back. He was panicking and he was uncertain and he was afraid because he'd never been sick in his life. The doctor says, I give you a 50-50 shot. I go, what do you mean 50-50 shot? He goes, 50-50 shot that you make it back here okay in the morning. So, I didn't really have a choice. Michael relents, and Dr. Call prepares him for immediate surgery. We were so uncertain about the outcome of the whole situation. I didn't want to hug because I knew I was going to start crying. But I say goodbye to her. I don't know if it felt worse for me or for her. That was without a doubt the scariest and the worst moment of my life. Doctors wheel Michael into the OR. There, Dr. Call makes an incision into his abdomen. We could see the hole more clearly. And then we found the foreign body, and we were able to grasp it and bring it out. 
but we could not make head or tails out of what it might be. With the object in hand, Dr. Call leaves the punctured wound to heal on its own and wheels Michael back to ICU. When I woke up, first thing I'm doing is reaching down, see if I got that colostomy bag. He said, it's a bag there. I'm like, I don't know. Are you okay? So I said, let me check. So I pulled the sheets and I said, there's no bag. He's like, okay. And he fell asleep again. <laughs> a few hours later, Dr. Call shows them the strange object. It was a long, skinny metal piece. How did he swallow this? Where was it? Like, how did it get inside him? We could not figure out what it was. So two days later, after Michael is discharged, Francis turns the house upside down, looking for clues. I kept thinking, how can this happen? What did I feed him that could have had a foreign body in it? Then I opened the back door and saw the grill brush, and it just came to me. I was like, oh my God, this is what happened. It was the bristle from the brush. It was from the grill brush outside. Inside Michael's body, the tiny wire bristle worked its way through his intestinal wall, piercing his large intestine, leading to his inability to eat, unrelenting abdominal pain, and intestinal leakage. That bristle was on the steak that I ate, and I swallowed it without knowing about it. I still don't know how I swallowed it without knowing it. And then Francis' line was, if you chewed your food, you never would have swallowed that thing. You're an animal, she said. Today, Michael has fully recovered from his bout with the bristle. He has also made a significant life change. I don't use any more grill brushes, so I'm never going to swallow another bristle again. But some habits die hard. No, I don't think he's more careful with his food. He still inhales it. To make sure that a rogue grill brush bristle doesn't end up in food, it's recommended to wipe down the surface of the barbecue grill thoroughly after scraping it. An even better solution is to use wood, plastic, or pumice stone grill cleaners, since those don't have bristles at all. 17-year-old high school student Marissa Adkins lives in the small city of Peoria, Illinois, and has a passion for cheerleading. I joined cheerleading because I wanted to try something new and I thought it'd be fun. And I did actually make a lot of new friends and it's just a good experience. Marissa recently got her driver's license and is spreading her wings. I'm close with just a few people and mainly I just drive around with them and listen to music. But she always makes time for her family, especially her mother, Deb. Marissa and I have the same sense of humor. She makes me laugh. We go riding around in the car and she sings and I make fun of her. And that's just our thing that we do. Marissa is also close with her grandmother, Marcia. Marissa is a very happy, lucky girl. She is very outgoing and funny. She's just a funny girl. But Marissa's fledgling independence will soon take a dark turn. It's the summer after her junior year. Marissa is visiting her grandmother in nearby Astoria, Illinois. But one morning during her stay, she wakes up not feeling quite right. My right eye was just puffy and red. 
and it itched and it hurt a lot. I wasn't really worried at that point. I just thought, you know, this happens. Still, Marissa tells her grandmother about her symptoms. She didn't really complain to me too much. We thought, well, maybe it's allergies. Marissa returns to her mom's house in Peoria. But three days later, things take a turn for the worse. She came to my bedroom at 2 in the morning. She was crying, and she, like, crawled in bed with me and said, Mom, there feels like something's sticking me in the eye. I don't usually cry when I'm in pain, but that was so painful that it did bring me to tears. I said, well, let's go to the emergency room. Deb helps Marissa to the car, and they rush to the hospital. The doctor pretty much looked at her, didn't really ask a lot of questions. And then he said he thought that she had the ocular herpes. I had never heard of eye herpes, and it didn't make sense to me at all that I would get it. Ocular herpes is a viral infection of the eye that can cause inflammation and scarring of the cornea. I was going to get a shot to clear this up. It was a very painful shot that I was actually shaking after. But the next day, she realizes that she will have to miss an important stunt clinic for her cheerleading team. I felt really frustrated that I couldn't be there to join them. My eye was starting to get in the way of a lot of things. What should have been a fun time was not a fun time for her. Deb makes Marissa an appointment at a local eye doctor. But when it comes time, Marissa's eye is feeling slightly better. So she begs her mother to let her drive herself to the doctor's office. I felt like driving myself around was a form of freedom, and I didn't want that to be taken. I did not feel that there was a concern at that point. I was hoping that everything was fine. Marissa hops in her car and makes her way to the appointment. While I was driving, I started noticing that the sun was bothering my eye. It was very light sensitive. It was blinding. Kind of had to cover it to stop it from hurting me. Still, the teenager manages to reach the doctor's office. But the appointment does not go as she had hoped. The eye doctor looked in my eye with a light, and she was very concerned at that point because she couldn't figure it out. She mentioned that this could be a more serious infection. The doctor insists she see a cornea specialist in Iowa City as soon as possible. That was really shocking to me because I just wanted to know what was going on. Then something else dawns on her. I was really upset that I knew I could no longer drive for myself. Marissa must rely on her mother. She's like, Mom, you need to come out here. We have to see a cornea specialist. At that point, I was, like, shaking because I'm like, what is going on? Marissa, her mother, and grandmother make the 160-mile trip to Iowa City. There, ophthalmologist Dr. Mark Greiner takes on her case. As a cornea specialist, of course, I'm very cognizant of severe infections, and I was on the lookout for something like this. Dr. Greiner examines Marissa's eye through a slit lamp microscope and picks up on something odd. 
he notices a series of circular scars on the cornea that are characteristic of a rare parasitic infection. I was able to give her a diagnosis definitively of acanthamoeba keratitis. She's got a parasite in her eye. I had never heard of such a thing. Acanthamoeba keratitis is caused by a parasite called acanthamoeba. Inside Marissa's right eye, the parasites are feeding off the naturally occurring bacterial colonies in the area above the lens. But when the parasites exhaust this food source, they start feeding on the cells of the eye itself. This causes the circular scarring and tissue damage in her eye, resulting in Marissa's eye pain, impaired vision, and extreme sensitivity to light. He told us this is a very serious eye disease and she could lose her eyesight. And that's when I started getting really scared and I just broke down. Marissa just started bawling. And I talked to her and told her that we would get through it. The acanthamoeba parasite can infect a wide range of human organs, including the liver and the brain, but it most commonly infects the eyes. The condition is often treatable, but in some cases the infection can lead to blindness or even the loss of the eyeball itself. Marissa must brace herself for the prognosis. He told me I could go completely blind, I could lose my eye. She was in for a rocky course. To save her eyesight, Dr. Greiner puts her on a four-month-long course of antiparasitic drugs. I ordered really potent topical medications to be administered every hour on the hour, not even allowing her to sleep at night is what I instructed. At home, she begins the regimen. When Marissa first put the eye drops in, she told me that it felt like there was hot sauce being poured in her eye. The first three days was miserable. We just all had to help her because she just couldn't do it herself. I didn't sleep. My family didn't sleep. It was probably the worst three days of my life. This should never happen to any teenager. For the rest of the summer, Marissa endures the agonizing treatment. I had a comforter covering my window so no light would get in at all. I'd basically lay in my bed. I'd use a blanket to cover half of my face. And it was just really depressing. Marissa withdrew from everybody. She never called anybody, never talked to anybody. She wouldn't even hardly talk to me. It was a helpless situation, and as a parent, when you can't help your child, you just feel horrible. But how did Marissa contract such a horrific infection? Acanthamoeba live in freshwater sources across the world and can even be found in some city water systems. In the United States, the most common way that people contract this parasitic infection is by wearing contact lenses that have been cleaned with tap water. And Marissa often wore contact lenses. 
I had no idea that water wasn't supposed to come in contact with your contacts. I would rinse them off. They were bothering me during the day. It's really frustrating. I wish I would have known because I think it would have saved me from this. But after four months of treatment, Marissa's prognosis is still not good. This disease was smoldering and would not be cured medically. She would need a cornea transplant soon. She said, Mom, I'm going to have to have that transplant. I cannot see. I only see shadow. At that point, I knew it's time to do it. Marissa has no other choice but to undergo a cornea transplant. Doctors wheel Marissa into the OR for the delicate procedure. A cornea transplant is a procedure by which we cut out diseased tissue and sew in tissue from a donor. What a surgeon does is uses a circular blade to cut a hole in the front part of the eye. Once the eye is stabilized, we go ahead and sew on the new corneal tissue, typically with anywhere from 16 to 24 stitches. The team completes the surgical implant and wheels Marissa to the recovery room. The results of the surgery are immediately apparent. She's hanging out with her friends. She's going to movies. She can go outside. She can go swimming. That transplant brought my Marissa back. She'll be on eye drops forever, but at least she can see now. And she's not in pain, so that's a relief. Today, Marissa is mostly back to her old self. Her infection is gone, but the parasites have left their mark. About a third of the time, patients that require one transplant will require an additional transplant. She will probably need another transplant in five to 10 years. But for now, Marissa is looking to the future. I plan on starting college and studying to become a kindergarten teacher. It's been one of the hardest years of my life, but I've grown a lot from it, and I feel like I'm a much stronger person today because I went through that. Although acanthamoeba live and thrive in water systems across the U.S., infection with this parasite is actually very rare, afflicting only about 60 people a year in the United States. Though the infection can strike anyone, Roughly 85% of cases occur in those that wear contact lenses. For contact lens wearers, it's very important to use disinfecting solutions when cleaning and storing contact lenses. Tap water should not be used for cleaning contact lenses. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.